Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Uh, my name is Alison Nunn. I've been part of Waikiki Baptist for a couple of years now and I've been asked of this verse I've been focused on my life actually is quite a strong one. It's uh, Jeremiah 29 11. It says in my version, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's been in my life for many years. I was asked as a young Christian to uh, talk about it, memorize it, and read it, even to read the whole verse of Jeremiah, uh, the book of Jeremiah. But this verse stood out to me, and I started understanding how much it means to me, how much my past quote, challenges to where I am now, to remind myself that I was chosen for a reason and purpose. No matter what I do, I still, I still believe God has, has control over everything I do. It's hope that no matter what's in the world, there's hope that no matter what challenges I've had in my life, from dyslexia, from the past, the present, to uh, mental, all sorts of challenges, motion challenges I've had in my life, churches and hope, wherever I've been to, wherever I've gone to, Father, He's always been with me. This verse has stood out to me, and I've proclaimed it over my life for many years, and still am. It's so good to be with you again today. Whether you're still enjoying your summer break, getting ready to return to work tomorrow, or hardly got a break at all, I'm excited to share this time with you. On a personal note, today is also a special day for Keely and I as we celebrate our wedding anniversary. Any, anyone care to guess what number it is? I'd love to see some guesses in the chat below. As we start, I wanted to say a massive thank you to Alistair for sharing this verse with us. It's clear to see the passion and depth of his connection with this text and the impact that it's had on his life. It's also really cool to hear from one of our Waiheke whanau. I've titled today's message, Best Laid Plans. I'm sure many of you also remember studying John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men at school and will be familiar with the full quote, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. Translation, things don't always go to plan. Steinbeck actually took the idea for his title from a poem written in the 1700s by Robert Burns about a farmer who accidentally upturned a mouse's nest while plowing a field. Over 300 years later, the saying is still common and is often offered with a shrug while watching our plans go up in smoke. Best laid plans. I wonder how many of you have said or at least thought this over the past two years, moving from your plan A to plan B, plan C, and probably further through the alphabet than you care to admit. I'll let you work out which letter you're up to now. If you hadn't guessed it, today we're talking about plans, but not our plans or the plans of mice. Today we're talking about the very plans of God, and it's a popular topic. Many millions, like Alistair, have found hope and strength in this verse, and rightly so. Let's have another read. Jeremiah 29, 10-13. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In preparation for today, I found out that in 2019, Jeremiah 29.11 surpassed John 3.16, taking the top spot on the YouVersion Bible app in countries all over the world. In fact, this verse has been called the new poster boy text for the 21st century Christian because of how often it is shared on social media. I wonder what Jeremiah himself would say if he knew how popular he'd become, if he knew that he'd gone viral. I'm sure it would make a nice change from the hostility and persecution that he received throughout his ministry, but perhaps he might also feel a bit understood, misunderstood. Or at least he would encourage us, as Alistair has, to read his whole book. As we look at this verse, I'm conscious that we often fall into one of two camps. On one side, we can boldly claim this verse for ourselves without exploring the context um, the promise was made in. Taken to its fullest, this can lead us to a belief that our future will involve giving us, God giving us whatever we want, whenever we want it, and God shielding us from anything that might cause us discomfort. On the other side, we may believe that we've heard this verse taken out of context so often that we essentially shut down completely to it. We throw the baby out with the bathwater and miss all that this verse can teach us. I don't think Jeremiah would want us to do that either. What we're going to try and do today is take the middle ground. We'll first explore the context and try to understand what the promise really meant for Israel. And from there, look at what it means for us today. So just for now, can we park our thoughts about this well-known verse and go and join the Israelites exiled in Babylon who first heard the prophecy? Israel was in a time of turmoil. To use a phrase we are now very familiar with, they were in unprecedented times. Grant's favorite phrase. Jeremiah had prophesied that great judgment would come uh, for their ongoing unfaithfulness, and he was right. The geopolitical power of the day, Babylon, conquered Jerusalem, carrying a portion of the Israelites back with them to Babylon and later destroying what remained of Jerusalem, including Solomon's temple. It was to those early exiles that Jeremiah wrote this section. And what was the message that they needed to hear? It was actually a message that directly contradicted what their false prophets had been telling them. See, there were some among the exiles claiming to speak for God, who were telling the people not to worry, that they would be home soon. They were speculating that Babylonian power was about to crumble, and as a result, the exiles need not put down roots. This was just going to be a short stay. It was into this context that God spoke through Jeremiah. I imagine the exiles gathered around to listen to this prophecy with high hopes of an imminent return. And then the first words were read out. Build houses and settle down. If Jeremiah had a microphone, he would have dropped it after that, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it would have been, had the desired impact. But to make the point clear, the prophecy continued, telling the exiles to plant gardens, get married, raise families, give their sons and daughters in marriage, and to pray for and seek the prosperity of Babylon. Safe to say, this is not what they were expecting to hear or what they were hoping for. I actually like to imagine this moment like a 1 p.m. COVID update. In this case, Jacinda has just told the nation that instead of further loosening restrictions, we're going back into a full level four lockdown. Can you imagine the instant uproar as the reporters urgently shout questions over each other? 
Perhaps that's how it was for whoever read this prophecy to the exiles. What do you mean we should build houses, plant gardens, have kids and grandkids? We'll never get back to Jerusalem. This is not what they wanted to hear. The exiles were hoping for rescue and probably for revenge. God was telling them to stay and pray. In fact, God actually gives them a length of time in verse 10, 70 years. Whether this is a literal 70 years is debated, but regardless, it meant that those who had lived through the exile were unlikely to return in their lifetimes. It was into this context and these people that God spoke the now famous words, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So does this change how we see the promise? I think that it has to, but not by diminishing it or dismissing it, but actually by enriching it. So let's take a closer look at two key aspects, who the recipients of the promise were and the timing factor. And then we'll finish with three applications that we can actually claim for ourselves today, whatever we're going through. So the first thing a deeper dive into this passage does is challenge the radical individualism that is so prevalent in our Western culture. The Cambridge Dictionary defines individualism like this. The idea that freedom of thought and action for each person is the most important quality of a society rather than shared effort and responsibility. Now, there are, of course, plenty of good things about individual freedom. And my point here is not to critique individualism, just to point out its pervasive influence on the way we view both the word and the world. We're just so used to viewing everything through an individualist lens that it's really difficult to approach passages like this in any other way. What does it say to me? What does this mean for my life? And of course, those are not bad questions. But this passage is clearly written to a people, not a person. The you in the passage is always plural. And this is a good thing. Think about it. If it was a specific individual promise to someone in the Old Testament, how could we claim it for ourselves today? But in fact, it is a promise to the people of God, who through Jesus we, we are now part of. This promise can apply to us precisely because it's written to a people group and not to a specific individual. But that means it applies to us as we exist within the people of God. It's not a plan for us to separate ourselves off as a radical individual and do our own thing. God has a hope and a future for us as individuals because we are included in his whole plan for the whole cosmos. For Israel, God's plan meant that they were eventually restored to Jerusalem and God continued to work through them as he had planned all along. The nation was not destroyed and eventually the savior was born through the line of David, a savior who would be not just for Israel, but for all nations. And now we get to join in on his ongoing mission of reconciliation and restoration. So it's vitally important to remember that we are part of the people of God. All of us are connected to something bigger, from individual to family, to a life group, this local church of Windsor Park, the churches across New Zealand, and God's global church. We are all part of something bigger, and this message is not just to us, but to us as we exist as the people of God. 
The other thing we can learn from a deeper look at this passage is a simple truth that's easy to say, but extremely hard to wait on in the midst of crisis. God operates his plans by his timelines. Like those early exiles in Babylon, we often want a quick escape from tough times. And that's understandable. No one enjoys living through pain. No one experiencing suffering wishes for it to be prolonged. But sometimes we do have to wait. Alistair shared with us how this verse has stayed with him and helped him to overcome a range of challenges in his life. And that is awesome. We celebrate that with Alistair and take deep encouragement from those victories. But I do imagine that Alistair didn't see change overnight in some of those situations. Like the exiles in Israel, I imagine there were long periods of waiting and confusion, which now he can look back on and see how God's hand was at work. I'm sure many of us can look back on periods of our lives and in retrospect, see how God's worked things out. But although it's encouraging to look at God's timing in hindsight, it's a lot harder to trust it into an unknown future. To be really honest, this is something I'm wrestling with right now. My wife, Keely, and I are in the midst of a big transition, having shifted back to Auckland for me to train in ministry. Particularly for Keely, this has meant huge and predominantly unseen sacrifices as she has returned to full-time emergency nursing. On top of this, she is having to navigate what it means to be married to someone training to be a pastor. This is not what either of us had planned when we got married. And we would love God to fill us in on a few more details of his plan for us. It would be nice to have it all mapped out. The end destination, the steps that we'll take to get there, how long it's going to take, you know, like Google Maps. We would love that clarity and sense of control. But the reality is we don't know. God doesn't work like Google Maps. And there is a lot of uncertainty and waiting. But this verse reminds us that God does have a plan. But if he has a plan, why doesn't he just tell us? Or at least fast forward through some of the bad bits. Why can't we skip what Craig Rochelle has called PUC? P-U-C. Pain, uncertainty, and chaos. I think it's because through PUC, it's because it's through PUC that we grow and learn to trust God. Listen to verses 12 and 13 again. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Through the exile experience, Israel would be renewed to a point where they could truly seek after God wholeheartedly. If the exile had been cut short and they returned after 70 days instead of 70 years, I don't think it would have had the same effect. If Keely and I knew now the exact roadmap for our lives, then we wouldn't need to trust God. And if Alice's challenges had been removed instantly, he wouldn't have built the character that he has today. So as we come to finish, I have three encouragements for you. If you're in a place of pain, uncertainty, or chaos, or if you're in a place that wasn't part of your best laid plans. Number one, your circumstances don't define your status. If you're in a place of suffering, of what seems like endless waiting for God to come through, he still loves you. You are not alone and you are not abandoned. What you are going through does not change the way God sees you, and you are still included in his plans. Number two, 
you are growing through your circumstances, perhaps more than you could without them. As Paul says in Romans 5, verses 3 to 4, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. By all means, continue to seek God to change your circumstances. I know I'll continue to seek clarity and direction for my future, but even if things don't change around us, we can still be changed. Number three, we can hope because our trust is in Christ and not in our circumstances. Ultimately, our trust is in Jesus, who has already fulfilled the real best laid plans that will never go awry. We are part of a bigger story and the outcome is secure. God is making all things new. The words Jesus spoke to his disciples are still true for us. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now there's a worship song that's been playing in my head as I prepared for this message. I imagine many of you have heard it before. It's called Yes and Amen by Chris Tomlin. It's a simple song, but such a good reminder of God's faithfulness. I particularly, I particularly like the lyrics of the bridge. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. As we listen, I pray we would all find a deeper rest in God's promises and replace our confidence in God's faithfulness no matter what. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.